Exodus 34. Now this is coming off the heels of the disobedience of Israel in the golden calf incident. And when Moses came down the mountain, he had the two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on them from God. And he was about to report about his visit with God upon the mountain. But when he came down, or actually when he was up on the mountain, he had heard that what Israel was doing back in camp, worshiping that golden calf. And when Moses came down the mountain, he smashed the tablets and uh, the stone tablets that God wrote with the finger of God. Very interesting. And uh, it's interesting here to see how God responds to that. So now the Lord said to Moses, cut out for yourselves two stone tablets like the former ones. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. And I think it's interesting that God doesn't, he doesn't scold Moses. He doesn't get mad at Moses. Uh, you know, as we saw in the prior chapters, God was really frustrated with Israel regarding their worship of a golden calf. And Moses was too. And, you know, that moment was a pretty dramatic moment where he comes down and then he smashes something that God had just made. And perhaps it seems to me God understood. God understood that frustration. Uh, perhaps that even dramatic moment was useful or purposeful for Israel. Um, you know, the, just the emphasis of what Moses did was something that caught their attention. So uh, God's going to rewrite them. So be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. Here we are again, and we see the separation of God from his people. And God is making a way, as we'll see in the chapters to come, to come near Israel through the tabernacle. Uh, and, and, but it was going to be a gated structure. In order to come into his presence, they were going to have to bring a sacrifice. And so that we see this separation in the Old Testament. What's incredible is that in the New Testament, in the New Covenant today, you know, Jesus came as Emmanuel. He came to be God with us. Then he died on the cross and he took the sin away from us that separated us from God so that now he can be with us always in us, literally through the presence of his Holy Spirit. The proximity of God has changed so much under the New Covenant. What a blessing we have today. So verse 4. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rode up or rose up early in the morning and went to Mount Sinai. And as the Lord had commanded him, he took two, stab, two stone tablets in his hand. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Let me just pause there for a moment. The next couple chapters, we're about to see, really the rest of the book, something very beautiful, in that even in a horrible sin that Israel committed, literally God has performed all these miracles. He goes. Moses goes up on a mountain, their leaders away for a little bit, and they make something else to worship, a false god, a, a golden calf. And God was so upset 
And yet what we're going to see is God's about to restore his relationship with his people. He's going to forgive them. He's going to give them a second chance, just like he's giving them new stone tablets. And that's just like God. He is a God of second chances. He forgives. He he gives grace. And it's it's a beautiful thing. That is the nature of our God. And really what we should see as we look through history of the Old Testament, you know, Israel's going to fail over and over. God's people are going to let him down over and over and over again. But he's still our God, and he's still winning people back to him. He's still forgiving. He's still brought Jesus even to a wicked people who forsook him. He still sent his son to die. That's the nature of God is even in our disobedience, he continues to renew his relationship with us. Pretty incredible. Now, what it says next, though, is yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Now, what's being said there is that sometimes the unfaithfulness of Israel and God's people would impact their children. And that, that's true today. I mean, if we obviously get caught up in sin and let's say we commit adultery, we get divorced, that has an impact on our children, like moving forward and, you know, even to maybe to the next generation because of the brokenness in our family. And I'm not trying to come down hard on anybody, but our our sins have consequences. And sometimes those consequences filter down to our children. Now, I want to share with you a verse because it's not like specifically God is saying, well, if you do this wrong, I'm going to curse your kid. Because it says in Deuteronomy 24, verse 16, Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. So it's not that God is specifically trying to punish our children for our sin. It's just that sometimes that happens because sin has consequences. And, you know, our faithfulness can bless our children and even our grandchildren. Um, and our unfaithfulness can, can cause harm to our children and even our grandchildren. That's what it's saying. So may we, you know, in our family stop the, well, in my case, you know, so much good from, from my parents. Um, and how they've passed it on to me. And, you know, my parents have been a blessing to me and, and also to their grandkids and my kids. Um, but maybe that hasn't been the case in your family. Why don't you start something new? You know, be a man of God, be a woman of God, and pass on that to your family and 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 start a blessing moving forward in the generations to come instead of consequences for our sinfulness. There's always hope and opportunity for us to change the course of our family. Moses made haste, verse 8, to bow low toward the earth and worship. What a great thing. Have you bowed low before God? Have you paused your heart to worship him? Oh Lord, help us to honor you rightly in that way. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate and pardon our iniquity and our sins and take us as your own possession. Even though 
they failed through the golden calf incident. He's saying, God, we, if we're going to go to this promised land, you got to go with us, God. Take us as your own. We need you. Uh, and I, I believe expressing that need and desire to God is, is, is something that he thinks is beautiful. Then God said, Behold, I am going to make a covenant before all your people, and I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations and all the people among whom you live. You will see the working of the Lord, for it is a fearful thing that I am going to perform with you. God's going to give them tremendous victory in the years to come in order to give them back the promised land that he promised to Abraham. <clears throat> and God's going to renew the covenant that he made with them prior, which they've already begun to break, but he's going to renew it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. Behold, I am going to drive out the Amorite before you, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. God's going to give them victory <clears throat> in order to take over that land. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into, in, into which you are going or it will become a snare in your midst. Now, he's going to talk about this a little bit. God does not want Israel to worship false gods. God created us in his image and likeness, and he wanted us to be fruitful and multiply. What he always wanted was a people who would be devoted to him, who would follow his ways, who would follow him as Lord. He did not want to be polluted, his people, amidst false gods, pagan worship, sinfulness, and he was very concerned about Israel getting entangled in the worship of the gods of the people around them instead of truly worshiping him. Because then what God, in his creation, he has a right, you know, with his creation, what he created, not only the world, but mankind. He has an aim. He has a desire. He wants people to fall in love with him and worship him and multiply his goodness. And the whole thing falls on its face if when God gives us freedom and we get into a country, if we don't follow him and instead just take on pagan beliefs and sinful you know sinful rules and sinful culture then what god intended to create is getting thwarted and that's not what he wants he always wanted and it's sad you know even in america today that we've forsaken him we we we're not a pure people we are worshiping whatever we want in many ways America is its own God. We just, we do what we want. We don't turn back to the word of God. And that's very sad to me because what God has for us is so much better than what we produce for ourselves in following our own ways. God's ways are a blessing. They would, they would bless us if we would just follow his ways. But rather you are to tear down, verse 13, their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall not worship any other God for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods. And someone might invite you to eat of his sacrifice, and you might take some of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters may play the harlot with their gods and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. You shall make for yourselves no molten gods." I don't want you to intermarry and then start worshiping false gods around you. Now, Israel was supposed to be a blessing. And this is where it kind of became difficult because Israel was supposed to be blessed by God. And then people around them would see the blessing upon them. And they'd be like, I want to worship the God of Israel. Look how blessed they are. 
but they were also supposed to not infiltrate with the other people and start worshiping their false gods. So they kind of ended up becoming separate and looking down on the people around them. What they were supposed to do is, is just stay true to God. And hopefully other people would see then that they should follow Yahweh God. So, but you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread, as I have commanded, at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in the month of Abib you came out of Egypt. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a week-long festival that happened after Passover, uh, and that was the first month on the 14th of the month that they left Egypt, and that's when they were supposed to celebrate this. Uh, the first offspring from the womb belongs to me and all your male livestock and the first offspring from cattle and sheep. And what you could do then is redeem it. You'd bring a sacrifice or an offering to God to redeem your firstborn. And isn't it interesting how much God values a firstborn, and yet what did he do? He gave his firstborn son in order to redeem you, the church, to be his family. It's incredible that God places so much value on a firstborn, yet he gave his firstborn son. And that's why now you're the firstborn. You, the church, are now his, his people like his firstborn. It's, it's incredible. And if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. You shall redeem all the firstborn of your sons. None shall appear before me empty-handed. So, like, you know, again, if you had a firstborn son, you could bring an offering to God and redeem so that son would be yours. God made a way for that to happen, but he wanted you to honor him with his firstborn because when he took the people out of Egypt, he killed the firstborn cattle and sons of the Egypt who didn't have the blood of the lamb over their doorposts, and he saved all the firstborn of Israel so that no Israelite lost their firstborn son. But now he said, in the future, I want you to remember what I did for you so therefore, I want you to bring an offering and redeem your firstborn son because it's going to help you to remember what I did when I saved you from Egypt and you know didn't save the Egyptians firstborn. For you shall work six days, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing time and harvest, you shall rest. And it was interesting, I was talking to someone uh, recently and, you know, they were someone we're trying to reach and impact and they're like, yeah, I just, I work Sundays though. I'm, and it's their own business, but they're, they're busy working Sunday mornings. And I'm like, you know what? You got to tell that man that Sunday morning is to go to church. That's for the Lord. That's where God would have us. We got to put down our work to, to spend time with God. Uh, now I'm not trying to make some kind of strict Sabbath rule, but we, we got to make God a priority and, and, and going to church is important. Um, if you want to learn more about how to view the Sabbath today, you could go back and listen to Exodus 20 on the Ten Commandments, and I spent some time on that in that chapter. You shall celebrate the feast, verse 22, of weeks, that is the first fruits of the wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the turn of the year. Three times a year all your males are to appear before the Lord, the God of Israel. And so they would have these celebrations that they had throughout the year, and they would they would come and honor God and celebrate together. And I don't think we celebrate enough today. We're going to do something about that at our church coming up here for Passover. Um, have kind of a celebratory, thankful evening in honor of our Lord. Um, something that's kind of been lost that the Jewish culture did that we just don't do 
in the same way. It's not that we're required to do it or we have to like a law, but I think it's good to celebrate having God in our lives and what he's done throughout history. Verse 24, for I will drive out the nations before you and enlarge your borders and no man shall covet your land when you go up three times a year to appear before the Lord your God. You shall not offer the blood of sacrifice with leavened bread, nor is the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover to be left until morning. This is just a reminder of some of the the laws now and rules. You might remember that they ate unleavened bread on Passover because they didn't have time. They were going to have to leave quickly out of Egypt on Passover, leave with haste. And if you have leaven in your bread and you have to give it time to rise. So unleavened bread was a sign uh, that you remembered what God did for you on Passover. It's a remembrance of how he had you leave in haste. You shall bring the very first of the first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. And this has come up before, but isn't that interesting? You bring your first fruits to the Lord. And, uh, you know, as far as our monetary resources, how God has blessed us, we're supposed to give to God first. Um, sadly, you know, so many times we can get so tied down with our own finances, and then we're at the end of the month and we're like, oh, you know what? I don't really have anything left for God. And that's why you're supposed to give to God first, and then you you live off what's left. That's the way to put God first and honor him with your your money. Um, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words. For in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water. What an incredible time. God must have sustained him there in that fasting with God up on the mountain. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So he gets his, he gets the tablets again. God gives them another chance. God is a God of second chances, as we've talked about. It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he's coming down from the mountain. <clears throat> For some reason, when I read that, I'm like, oh, no, is he going to drop them? You know what I mean? But no, that's not the case that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. It was as though, like, because Moses had spent all that time with God, his face radiated the glory of God, and and, and it was different. And Israel was like, ah, that kind of scared them or startled them. Then Moses called to them, And Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. We are to be obedient to God's word, especially a new covenant understanding of God's word. We still, today, obedience is important. It's something we do to honor the Lord. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel, what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses, of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went to speak with them. Isn't that interesting? They, they were like 
was kind of startled by this face that shone and radiated the glory of God. And that concept is brought into the New Testament. And let me share with you a passage about that from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, listen to what it says. In verse 5b, I'm going to pick it up. But our sufficiency is from God, Paul says, who also made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant. See, we're, we're hearing the old covenant now. And God, now we have a new covenant through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. <clears throat> and that covenant is not of the letter, but of the Spirit. See, now it's not about following all the laws of the Old Testament. It's about having the Holy Spirit in us and living for God of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And, and what happened is Israel was never really able to follow that law well, and it, it left them feeling condemned and under the penalty of their disobedience to the law. But now we have a new covenant, and it's not the same. And God's Spirit lives inside of us. So the law kills or makes us feel guilty, but the Spirit gives us life. Hallelujah. In fact, even the Old Testament is considered a ministry of death. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not good things in the Old Covenant. It just means that the law showed us our sinfulness. It, we, we, could, we were under the curse of the law because we just couldn't follow it well. And it says, but if the ministry of death and letters having been engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, which was being brought to an end. See, that old covenant's being brought to an end. But if they couldn't look at his face because of that veil, how will the ministry of the Spirit not even have more glory? So like there was glory because Moses was in the presence of God and Moses' face shone with glory. But we've already seen that the new covenant's a better covenant. It's replaced the old. It's fulfilled the old. And it it's so much better. But even the old one still had glory. So listen to what it says in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. For if the ministry of condemnation, meaning, yeah, we felt condemned under the weight of our disobedience to the law because we just couldn't follow it, for if the ministry of condemnation, meaning the ministry of the old covenant has glory, it still had glory. Moses had the glory of the Lord on his face. Much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Did you know that you've been made righteous if you believe in Jesus by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed to forgive you? You were under a curse. Have you been freed of the curse of the Old Testament? Have you been freed of the curse that as people, we were wayward to God and we could not follow God rightly. Jesus Christ, the firstborn of God, was put on that cross to take the curse for us, to forgive us of our sin. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? And when you have, you've been made right. You've been given the gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ, meaning God sees you as right before him because of the forgiveness he's given you. And how much more glory is that? Than the glory of the Old Testament. Hallelujah. For indeed, what has been glorious in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. So even though there was glory in the Old Covenant, Moses' face shone with glory, it's as though it really doesn't have glory anymore because the glory that we now have in the forgiveness of sins and the impartation of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus has so much glory, it surpasses the glory of the Old Testament before. 
For if that which was being brought to an end, that's the old covenant, it's being brought to an end, was with glory, yet it had glory, much more that which remains is in glory. The new covenant, which is still in force today, it even has more glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness and are not like Moses. He used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the consequence of what was being brought to an end. The old covenant has been brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For until this day, at the very reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it has been brought to an end in Christ. And what's being said is like, see, now we're seeing a new text, new covenant understanding of the Old Testament. But if you read the Old Testament and you don't know the glory that what we're talking about now, that we've been clothed with the righteousness righteousness of Jesus Christ through faith, if you don't know that, you could be reading the Old Covenant and it would be like there'd be a veil over your face because you wouldn't know the new. You wouldn't know the glory of of Jesus Christ and the glory of the new covenant and the the new way that's been opened to us through the Spirit of God. It's It's a new way and it even... It's even greater glory. But if you don't know that, there's, it's like a veil. It's like, it's like you can't see God and Jesus rightly. There's a veil over your face. But to this day, verse 15, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. That's for the Jews who haven't accepted Jesus the Messiah. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Hallelujah. And we can see God rightly the way that he wants us to see him now through the power of the new covenant and the grace and the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. Now the Lord is a spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Hallelujah. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. Oh, that is tremendous. It's saying now that we can behold the glory of God. And, and what did God always want? He created us in his image and likeness, and he wants us to be fruitful and multiply. And as now with that veil removed, and the fact that we can see Jesus clearly, and we have the forgiveness of sins, and we can behold the glory of God through the new covenant, it's saying that we're being transformed into the same image which is what God always wanted us. He wanted us to become a reflection of the image of who God is and be a representative of his to the world. And now we can do that through a New Testament understanding. The veil has been removed. Oh, we can now draw near to God, nearer than ever before, because his spirit lives inside of us. We've been freed of living under the bondage of the Old Testament. We've been set free and now we can worship God rightly through Jesus Christ. What a a glorious teaching. The veil has been removed. And have you given your life to Jesus Christ? I'll tell you what, if you haven't, you should confess with your mouth and say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I don't want to go another moment. I believe in you as the Lord, the giver of life, the one who, who died for me and was risen from the dead. I've placed my trust in you. I believe in you and I thank you for what you've done for me. And if you if you genuinely do that, if you genuinely place your trust in him through a prayer like that, replay it, back that up, listen to it again and, and, and speak words like that to the Lord. Say, Jesus, I believe in you and I'm thankful that you died for me. Then you know what you should do is you should get baptized. You should get believer baptized. If you've placed your faith and trust, even if you've gotten baptized as an infant, you should get re-baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ 
talk to your pastor, come talk to me, give your life to Jesus Christ. The veil has been removed and put on the clothes of righteousness because of the forgiveness of sins through Jesus. Hallelujah. Don't delay. Come to the Lord and receive the blessing of being his son and daughter. Hallelujah and amen.